Welcome to the Building Bridges Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Niemergall. When it comes to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, having a faith transition can sometimes create a rift in relationships between those who leave and those who stay. The goal of this podcast is to equip listeners on either side of that rift with the tools they need to start building bridges, crossing chasms, and ultimately healing relationships through mutual respect and understanding. Each episode will feature both perspectives as we explore topics that can create these rifts, validate the struggles that they pose, and discuss tools you can use to literally bridge the gap. Let's get to building. Welcome back, Amberly. Thanks. <laughs> I say welcome back because Amberly and I have been doing a rant on black and white thinking previous to this recording, but I might release them in a different order, depending. So I'm just going to go with my gut on that and we'll see as we go because it's a lot of stuff. We're talking about black and white thinking today, and there is so much to cover on this topic. So (laughs) why don't you just take it away, Amberly? Tell us um, why we know each other and why you like this topic. Um, Taylor and I were in the Latter-day Voices Choir at Utah State together many moons ago, and we've just kind of stayed in contact you know, like everybody does over Facebook or whatever. When it comes to the topic, I think black and white thinking is an important thing to talk about. And it's something that I try to stray away from in my life. I think we are all naturally um, humans in general like to think in black and white because it's easier. Mm -hmm. But it's a topic that I think is important. And when you pitched the topic ideas. This one just caught my eye. So curious to see where this conversation goes today. Me too. Tell us about your faith transition away from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So I grew up a full-blooded, historic, generational Mormon, you know, as most people do from Utah. <laughs> um, and then I, I know, I it just, it, it was kind of gradual. It wasn't There wasn't a big thing in my life that like pushed me away from the church. I did get married in 2017. And after that, I kind of felt like I was, I had done the thing. Like I just felt like I viewed Mormonism as a checklist to exaltation. And like I got baptized and I went through the temple and I got sealed in the temple. So as long as I'm a good person, I get to go to heaven, right? Like that's kind of how I viewed it. And so I just, became apathetic to going to church every Sunday. And then I started studying yoga. And as I opened my view, my worldview, I was introduced to a lot of different ideologies that I felt resonated more with me. Mm-hmm. And I would now describe myself as a spiritual, but not religious. I do believe in a creative entity, whether it be human or not. I think us assuming it's human can be kind of egotistical in a way, (laughs) like thinking that the creator of the entire cosmos looks like me. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So I do believe in a creator. Okay. What that looks like. I'm not sure. Um, Yeah. I try to live my life spiritually now. And instead of tying my beliefs to a specific dogma, what would you say your relationship with the church is like now that you've left? Um, that kind of depends on the day, to be honest. Um, I'm very fortunate in that I have a really good support system. 
And in my specific circle, a lot of my friends and my family have actually left the church. And so I, you know, a lot of people who leave are often fighting with their immediate family, and that's really difficult. Luckily, I haven't had to really deal with that. Um, when it comes to the church as a whole, like everybody, I go through waves of sadness and grief and anger as one does when you lose a giant piece of your culture. And I don't know, I, I, I try to be, I just kind of try to stay out of it, I guess, which is kind of hard living in Utah, but mm -hmm. I have no, I wasn't like harmed by the church. I wasn't offended in sacrament meeting by my bishop, you know, and those things happen to people, but, and they're valid, their feelings are valid, but I don't have huge giant ill will towards the organization and the people. Fantastic. I'm so happy that you have a good support system and that you don't experience bridge burning yeah. to the extreme oh, yeah. that some people experience. I mean, you probably right. have a little bit of experience in that arena, but I'm so happy that it's not really bad for you. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I've been fortunate with my faith transition for sure. That's awesome. Okay. Black and white thinking basics is what I'm going to just lay down here. Okay. Okay. Black and white thinking is very dichotomous. It's one way or the other. It polarizes us and kind of goes to the extremes in the thoughts and thinking in black and white leads to having extremes in emotions. And so our emotions will swing back and forth as well. And the more extreme our thinking, the more likely we are to be depressed. Like if you use the example, like I'm always alone. Anytime you use the words like always or never, um, those are exaggerated extremes. And that's thinking in black and white. So black and white thinking also invites defensiveness in others. You know, using the term never, you never do the dishes. Uh, usually, not always, but usually the statements with always and never are not completely true. And so that's going to automatically lead defensiveness to someone. If you never do the dishes. That's not true. I do the dishes sometimes, you know, so defensiveness, yeah. <laughs> not good for bridge building y'all like yeah. <laughs> we're trying to shut that down. I get, I get really defensive. Sometimes I fall into that trap for sure. I mean, we all do. This is, this is stuff to like be aware of and work on, but um, yeah. I was listening to a YouTuber today and she was talking about like kind of the psychology of black and white thinking. And she said, you know, everything serves a function, even if it's like a dysfunctional function, black and white thinking is serving us or else we wouldn't be doing it. Sure. So this is kind of some of the dysfunctional functions that black and white thinking serves. First of all, it simplifies things. You know, you're all good or you're all bad. However, every person is a combination of good and bad. So more yeah. likely than unlikely, our simplification of things leads us into danger. It leads us into the extremes where we are failing to see the truth in the middle. But one thing that it does for us is oh, it simplifies things. Another thing it does for us is it takes away our accountability. For example, we say, my boss is the worst. And there's just nothing I can do at my job because everyone is out to get me there. My boss is the most terrible. There's nothing that I can do 
to make it better because even if I tried, they're going to bring me down. And so that kind of takes away your accountability to do more, if that makes sense. Do you know the book Alexander and the No Good, Very Bad Day? What is it? The No Good, Terrible. There's like so many words. There's so many. Yes. (laughs) It's a lot of adjectives, but yes. It's kind of like that way of thinking. Everything is bad. It's very extreme. And like, even if it is a bad day, if you're thinking in black and white, then it's totally polarized and extreme. Nothing can be right. And so it just, yeah. Also, the function is that it makes you the victim. If nothing is right, why should I be trying? In a way, black and white thinking protects us from, you know, that accountability. It also protects us or shields us from vulnerability. But y'all, vulnerability is one of the best bridge building tools that you have. I'm just looking at this and saying, okay, these functions of black and white thinking both lead to defensiveness and shield us from being vulnerable. And I, like I said, defensiveness hurts bridge building and vulnerability is the tool that we want. So we got to be aware of our black and white thinking. Trigger question here is black and white thinking always bad and refer to our bonus rant. (laughs) I know I use the word always. (laughs) Which should give you listener a, a clue as to if that's a yes or no question. Yeah. Short answer is no, but you can refer to our bonus episode rant where we go into that a lot further. But since Amberly and I talked forever about black and white thinking with no specific direction, but it was good stuff. So (laughs) (laughs) a lot of the things I'm going to say here, I may refer you to the bonus rant. So I like that title. I'm going to keep it then. The bonus yeah, rant. Yeah, you should. I think it's I'll, funny. I'll post this one as black and white thinking, and then I'll post that one as black and white thinking. The bonus rant. The bonus rant. So. Yes, that sounds good. Please refer to the bonus rant. Black and white thinking is not always bad, but something that we just need to strive to be aware of. Okay, so black and white thinking, also known as all or nothing thinking. And I've got some examples of it within society. Think where you may have heard these phrases before. You're either with us or you're against us. The, oh, yeah. the Star Wars thing. That's when Anakin says, either you're with me or you're against me. Again, I'm referring to the bonus rant. People will say, you are either with me or you're against me. You can't possibly fall into a in-between. Another example. So Kristen Bell, really cool actress, voices Anna in Frozen and other things. Kristen Bell took a picture posing with the police and posted something like, hey, thanks for your service. I'm paraphrasing. And she got a lot of haters saying, you don't support Black Lives Matter if you say you are grateful for the policeman's service. Very, very, you're either with us or against us sort of black and white thinking. Yeah. There are only two types of people in the world, if you've ever heard that phrase. Okay, so (laughs) once upon a time, Amberly, you were probably there. This happened in the choir we met in. I once had to give the spiritual thought at the beginning of class and I wasn't prepared. Okay. And so I came in like, Oh, I don't know what I'm going to say because I didn't think of anything, but I had just come from a class where I was working on an interfaith project and I was promoting an idea of speed faithing. So I just got up and talked about my project and I talked on and on about how much other people and other religions have truth and we need to embrace that. And we're not the only ones that have got it all together. 
And my husband, who I met in that choir, his first impression of me, like the first time he noticed me was from me having that thought that day. And he said, one of my first impressions of you was she must not have a very strong testimony because she's like (laughs) promoting. (laughs) I know it makes Jeff sound so bad, but like we laugh about it now. I know it's not, it's, it was a very black and white thinking thing. Like you're with us, you're against us. There's only two ways, two types of people in the world. I have come up here and I'm like, I love all the different truths that we can find in other religions. And Jeff's thought was, hmm, she must not have a very strong testimony. Bear with me here, but I have a kind of a silly visualization idea. Okay. Where, you know, we are kind of jumping into these opposites that are extremes when we're doing our all or nothing thinking, you know, I am visualizing a deck of cards and I kind of spread it out in my hands and there's a surface underneath that I can flip the whole hand upside down. And that represents the opposite thing. So you've got this card, you can flip it up, you can flip it down, then they're opposites. You can also fan them out. And there's a whole spectrum of similarities to branch off of from that core thing that they're not quite the opposite, but they're not quite the same as the core. So for example, you can use the word firm from the dictionary and you can find synonyms and antonyms basically. So the word firm can be steadfast and immovable or whatever you can look at its opposite as whimsy and uncommitted. So if I'm flipping that firm card across that invisible mirror line into extreme opposite world, I see words like floppy, unstable, kind of negative words, right? Mm -hmm. Let me know if I'm losing you at all. This is kind of something that's hard to explain. However, there are words down there that are antonyms of firm that are also positive and there are synonyms for firm that are negative. So if I have the word firm as the card and I'm fanning it out and I'm looking at the antonyms, I might find something that's kind of negative, but means firm. That wasn't what I was thinking, like unyielding or staunchy or hard headed. And Mm -hmm. so I think instead of flipping our cards all the time, we should fan them out and see what different middle grounds might be. And I mean, similarly, you can flip what you've fanned out and find even more options until you find just the right one. Instead of being a flip flopper of extremist cards, fan your cards out until you find something in the middle. That was my visualization, which may or may have not made sense to anybody. I also talked about in the bonus rant, the woman who once said, if those are your only two options, then you must have a very limited mindset. And I think it's just kind of doing that same thing, refusing to fan out your cards. You're just flipping the card across the mirror. Kind of talked before, like the phrase, there's only two types of people in the world. Like you can fill that in endlessly. So you can say there's only one way to be a good Republican. Like there's only one model for being a good Democrat. There's only one way to be a good American. Literally endless ways that people can say there's only one 
And that is so simplified and it's taking tons of things and putting it in this category that you probably don't even realize you're saying all of this makes a good whatever. I think the point is, is that when it comes to a, an ideology or a choice or an idea, there are way more often than not more than two choices. Yes. And that's your thing with the cards is this card has a front and a back, but the deck itself has endless possibilities. And so, and that's when you said, referring to the bonus rant, if you, those are your only two choices, you must have a really limited worldview. That's the point we're trying to make is there's so many ways to look at something, especially in the scope of religion. Because, well, and I, that's what we're talking about is the church and the not church, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've never met two Mormons or two Catholics or two Muslims who believe the exact same thing. Everybody has their own perspective and their own things that they care about more than other things. You know, I've, I've met a lot of Mormons that have issues with the church, but they're like, you know, it's not a big deal for me because these other pieces are important to me where the issues they might have are going to be the reason somebody else leaves. And so when we're in the scope of black and white thinking, you can't think of your belief system like that. I can't do that with my current belief system because things can be open to change and I should be open to change and new ideas and new information. And I think that black and white thinking can lead to a lot of closed off you know, I've made up my mind about this and I know that this is right. And so I'm not going to listen to another perspective about it. Yeah. It really can make you, like I said before, defensive, closed Mm -hmm. off and, you know, unyielding. So what effects do you feel like black and white thinking has had on your bridge building relationships? Oh, all of it. I think that's the problem. I do too. You know, the problem, like there's one, but growing up in Utah where most of the people I interacted with on a daily basis for the first 20 years of my life were Mormon. And now most of the people I interact with used to be Mormon, you know? And it just, we, I feel like the whole belief system is at war with people who choose to leave it or people who choose to stay. Like, it's not just post-Mormons hating current members or current members hating post-Mormons. You know, I've been called an angry ex-Mormon before where people are not giving me, when I say people, usually the people calling me an angry ex-Mormon are either post-Mormons who had an easy transition out of the church or current members who think that my anger is misplaced. And that's, that's the thing is it's, Hey, this is my experience in something. And my experience is correct. And anything outside of my experience must be wrong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I find myself doing that with 
knowledge or choices being like, hey, this is true. Well, no, it's true for me. But my truth is not your truth, nor is it my best friend's. Like we all, it's a, it's a spectrum. And so black and white thinking in the scope of my life is the reason my faith transition was hard. And I mean, obviously like losing a huge piece of culture and a huge piece of identity is hard. But if ever there were an interaction with another person that attributed to maybe stress or anxiety on my part, it was because we weren't communicating well as humans. It was, I'm saying this to you and I'm trying to change your mind. And you're saying that Mm -hmm. to me and you're trying to change my mind when Mm -hmm. it wasn't like, Hey, we could come to a middle ground. Maybe we're both right. Or maybe we're both wrong. Honestly, we're probably both wrong. Let me ask you a follow-up question. It seems to me like you're saying there's only this black and white way that interferes with like, well, you're wrong because I'm right. But I also worry if perhaps because of black and white thinking, people don't really see you for who you are, but they see you as the opposite of who you used to be. Does that make sense? Yeah, I have never heard that expressed to me, but I think that that's true. I think that's very insightful. Like you used to be this and you're not this anymore. And And I refuse to accept who the the thing you are now. Yeah. And even I would worry like, okay, so you used to be, because you used to be in my church, you used to believe in all these morals. And now that you've left, you must be therefore immoral. Does that make sense? That is a very, yes, that is definitely a big thing with people who leave the church is, oh, you're leaving to sin or you are leaving because you're not a good person and you just want to live in that, that, that happens a lot. And yeah, I think definitely had, like I said, most of my inner circle has either never been Mormon or is post-Mormon, but mm-hmm. I have, you know, I've posted things. I try, I try to not post things on social media that are <laughs> actively for or against something, but occasionally it'll come out, you know, express. I, I think it's important to express my opinion on something sometimes, but I posted something oh, forever ago about, I don't even know what, like it was so, I just, it was an Instagram story. It was real quick. And this girl that I knew in high school messaged me. She like responded to it. And she's like, I can't believe how much you hate God and how much you have actively turned against um, something that is so beautiful and wonderful. And it's so sad to see you as a spiteful person now. Yeah. And, and did like, you say what? anything in that post that even talked about um, hating God? No, I don't oh, yeah. I remember what it was now. It was, it was talking, the, the post was, I was sharing somebody's experience with conversion therapy when it comes to being a member of the LGBT community. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, I have an opinion on conversion therapy and she obviously had a different opinion on conversion therapy but it was nothing really related to god for sure yeah but therefore because your opinion was different from me the black and white thinking leads me to also flip every opposite like we have this one thing not in common we have everything not in common now 
you have yeah, this and stance that's exactly on what conversion therapy and I have the opposite stance on conversion therapy. I love God. You hate God. You know, like all these yeah, extra things. It was things. so extreme. And I, extreme, yes. I responded and I was like, I can't. And she, I knew her really well in high school. Like I would say that we were, I was really close with her siblings, um, but like we were adjacent, you know, <laughs> she knew me really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did, we did choir together. And yeah, it just, I honestly, I was surprised that she cared so much because she isn't someone I've seen in probably like eight or nine years. And I just, I think that that's, you know, when we care about something so much and growing up LDS, like your religion is your life. It's a lifestyle. You know, I know a lot of Catholics who are like, well, yeah, I go to, I go to mass on Christmas and Easter. That's not really how being a Mormon is like so much of the church is a lifestyle. And so people care about it a lot and it's a part of their identity. Like it, it makes up their core person. And so it's very easy for anyone who has that type of belief. Yeah. I'm not saying like Mormons in general, but I mean, that's my closest example. It's very easy for people to feel attacked out on a personal level Mm -hmm. when you're challenging their belief system because they have internalized it. And I think that's another problem with that is it becomes so ingrained in our personalities and our identities that when a challenging view is proposed, we, yeah, we get defensive and we get personally offended. Mm -hmm. I think that's the important distinction is it's not just I'm being defensive. I am personally offended by this and I'm going to tell you why. Right. So she had an incredibly emotional response yeah. to you taking a stand, which I just want to say, like, it's okay to take a stand to think, I think this, or I think that or whatever. And we talk about that in other episodes as well. But anyway, you took a stand and that's totally fine. And what she did was had a crazy emotional personalized offendable response to something that really didn't have anything to do with her but it was different enough from her core beliefs that she took it out on your relationship to god that didn't even have anything to do with what you were saying correct yeah 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 it was totally it was like whoa where did that come from that's not what i'm saying at all but okay so did you feel seen did you feel that she even knew what your post was about or who you were as a person or did you feel she's just no and I'm not seeing that to her yeah I mentioned that to her I was like did you even listen to what he was saying like I'm sharing somebody else's experience and you're invalidate you're saying their experience is wrong Mm -hmm. by by saying this to me I was like you didn't even listen to what this post was about yeah. Which, you know, makes me be like, you're a bad person. It just falls into the same trap as, <laughs> as everybody oh, else. Oh, I get that. Yes. It, I <laughs> often find myself being like, wait a second. <laughs> Am I just saying everybody should do this my way? Because I'm, yeah, I, I fall into that trap all the time. Like, oh, they should be thinking twice before they say anything like that. They should be being a bridge builder. Wait, now I'm telling them everything that's wrong. Wait, I'm, do- Dang it. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing the same thing. It's just, yeah, I do that too. You do that too. We all do it. It's fine. We're working on it. it. But I think to draw away a kind of conclusion from that, 
that that black and white thinking tendency led to you not being seen Mm -hmm. for who you are or for what you were saying. Instead, these blinders were put up because of the emotional reaction and you never felt seen. So yeah, I'm sorry. And I hope that she can have an opportunity to see you better because you're really great. Thanks, Taylor. You're, <laughs> you're great too. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thanks for for seeing me. <laughs> anyway, I have a a person. <laughs> she and I have husbands who are cousins. So my okay. Her name is Mackenzie. Anyway, she told me something really cool the other day. I was venting to her a little bit, and I was saying things like, "Oh, my child." is so exhausting. I mean, I love them, but I wish I didn't They're have children. to be with yeah. them, you know? And she w- pointed out to me like the power of the word and, and with black and white thinking, sometimes we do those extremes, we do the opposites. And if we can replace, but with, and, you know, these things are not mutually exclusive. So I can say, instead of my child is exhausting, but I love them. I can say my child is exhausting and I love them. And that is not wrong, you know? And, um, like you can say, and this is not a personal example. This is just an example. You know, my husband is a good man and he has a sex addiction, not, but because it's like, but he's not a good man because of this. It's, and right. It totally invalidates the first statement you said. Yeah. Yeah. And so, the other day, this is kind of funny. Like this is me catching myself doing it. Uh, Alexa said like, Oh, do you want to do a, a mantra of self validation in the morning or something? I'm like, Oh yeah, sure. And so she's like, okay, lay on the floor and repeat after me. I am awesome. And I trust in my own wisdom. And I like paused and like, I don't want to say I trust in my own wisdom because I trust in God's wisdom. And I like did the invalidating butt thing in my head real quick. But then I was like, wait a second, I'm not going to fall into that trap. And then I was like, was able to say like, yeah, I trust in my own wisdom because it's not like I'm saying that means that I don't trust in a higher power too. Like, why would my mind automatically invalidate that? So in order to like undo that, I can say, just like you're saying the and like, I trust in God. And I trust in my own wisdom. These are not mutually exclusive. Like it is okay to say these things. And people will be like, no, I, if I say I trust in my own wisdom, that means I don't trust God. That's not true. No, that's not what that means. Yeah. It's really not. And so your friend is wise. I trust in your friend's wisdom. She's a great, she's very wise. I really (laughs) like her. Um, taking that into the church, things like, you know, the church has blessed people's lives and it's hurt people. Like my friend has left the church and that friend has outstanding integrity. Yeah. This person has a different belief than me and they're doing their greatest to follow what they think is the best path. I'm going to internalize that. I might tweet about that later. <laughs> I would the, appreciate the power it. Of and. The power of <laughs> and. You know, hashtag Mackenzie Niebergall. She said it. Mackenzie and I'm going to give her that credit because she's awesome. She deserves it. She does. 
So I was talking to Amberly earlier and I was just asking, hey, do you know anything about yin yang? Because <laughs> I don't. But I was curious I if that had to do with like the and, because from my understanding, it's all about balancing opposites. So if, how does yin and yang address black and white thinking, if at all? Yeah, very brief background. The concept of yin and yang is an ancient Chinese philosophy. And I'm sure everybody probably has seen the yin and yang symbol. You know, the black and white is sometimes it's represented by koi fish. You know, a lot of people have stickers of it, whatever. The important thing to take note of in that symbol is the little dot of white inside the black and the little dot of black inside the white. Because as there is a yin to every yang, there also is a little bit of yang in that yin. They are opposites. They coexist. But in order to coexist, there has to be, for lack of a better term, understanding between the two. Yin is the receptive and yang is the active principle. And they are seen, like those two things are seen in a lot of different areas of our lives. So like winter and summer, uh, male and female, even in like socio-political history, disorder and order, they might be opposites, but they are both equally true and valid. And they have a little bit of the other inside themselves. And I think that's the point is that they can coexist because there is an understanding between the two. Mm, um, like winter like needs that. summer uh-huh. and summer needs winter just like love you know you always hear like you wouldn't know what the only reason you know what light is is because you know what darkness is right um and so they need each other in order to exist because if it was just yin all the time we wouldn't understand the concept of yang like if it was always winter i wouldn't understand the concept of warmth or the concept of summer nor appreciate winter as much I'm one of those people that loves winter um my poor <laughs> boyfriend for you. <laughs> he, he, yeah he's like if I could never see snow again you know <laughs> but you have to have an understanding of the opposite thing in order to appreciate what you have and in order to appreciate the other thing because yeah, yeah if you want to talk about the, if you want to bring this back to religion I, having an understanding of the opposite side could make you a better member of the church and having an understanding of the church and its members and its beliefs makes me more sympathetic or empathetic to that experience. I like that. Um, That's kind of what yin and yang is, is duality. Duality. Um, I was going to say instead of yeah. extremes, it's like a balance. That's what my, so that's a big thing. In my yogic studies is the concept that two things that seem to oppose each other can be equally true. They live in a duality. Mm-hmm. And I like mm-hmm. to throw that around times like with my friends. I'm like, oh, what a wonderful duality. You know how like sometimes people who are in like a deep depression will get into those manic states where they feel huge euphoria and it can be really overwhelming okay that's a duality these two things totally oppose each other but they exist inside my body and somehow i am i'm experiencing them simultaneously and it can be overwhelming but it's a valid 
experience. I like how um, the yin validates the yang instead of polarizing the yang or opposing. They are within each other. That's what I like. Yeah, it's that that little dot in, in that icon is what I understand as understanding. Like it's like the yes. and. It's like using the and. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. So I think that was a good segue when you said we're talking about and and then let's talk about yin and yang. I was it hoping is, it would and. be, but I knew I wouldn't be able to good explain job. yin and yang as well as you. <laughs> but I'm like, no, it's you did it, yeah. to the and if it's what I think it is. I do okay. think the and is exactly what you're talking about. Okay. So moving right along, here's some black and white pairings that need to be debunked that I think the church is good that becomes well then leaving the church is bad so we're kind of moving on to talk about like these false pairings like these extremes or if I say like God directs the church then becomes Satan directs leaving the church so right that's debunking these these are (laughs) these are false pairings that need to be debunked if I didn't already say that that's what I'm reading here's another one If I am teaching my children to follow God by raising them in the church, that becomes I'm allowing them to follow Satan if I support them in leaving the church. So these are just like these false pairings that are butting heads. (laughs) They are going to cause some extreme emotions and distress. And on the flip side, also, you like the church is bad becomes leaving the church is good. Or like the church has hurt me becomes leaving the church will fix me or the church oppresses people becomes, you know, everything outside the church will liberate the people like just opposites and extremes. This is extreme card flipping instead of fanning and even more personal. I'm trying, but on that personal level, like you're not a good person. If you leave the church, just stuff like that. Not true. Yeah. One thing that I would like to mention for particularly members that potentially listen to your podcast, but a big thing that most members, most Mormons feel is people without the Holy Ghost or people who haven't been baptized or people without, I, you know, everybody has the light of Christ, but in Mormonism, but they can't feel true joy. I feel like I heard that a lot. And I've been, that's been mentioned to me is oh, now that you've left the church, you'll never feel true joy again, which is so damaging. And I think it's also scary for members of the church. It just feels threatening. Like, oh, the church is the only way to experience true joy. If I ever leave, I will never be happy again. Mm. And that could potentially keep people there who don't feel fulfillment from that type of structure. And, you know, I think that's a, I think that's a lot of the reason I left is because I just wasn't getting what I felt was spiritual fulfillment. I was finding it other places. And I was, I was terrified. Like, am I never going to feel true joy again? Am I going to be angry and bitter my whole life? Or is there going to be this huge void where joy used to be? And I think that that's something that I wish members, at least, you know, members in my experience, I'm not trying to generalize members in general. But um, I wish that was something that wasn't so polarizing, was true joy can only be felt in the church. And when you leave, you will never feel true joy again. Like joy is so, such an abstract concept and is so different for everybody. How do you know 
like what my joy feels like. And I can't know what your joy feels like or what brings you joy. Some mm-hmm. people love sitting in congregations for, you know, an hour and listening to talks. Some people love fasting testimony meeting. And some people really don't. That doesn't make them a bad person. It just, yeah. the understanding of being human and how vast everybody's experiences can be is so important to bridge building and to black and white thinking is that there's no right or wrong way to live this short, short human experience. And we should just do our best to enjoy it the best way we know how for ourselves because we only get one of these. So, you know, why squander my joy for fear of somebody else thinking that I'm not feeling joy? Okay. Like, oh, well, I've been told this is the only way to to feel joy and so I'm going to muscle through it. Like, you shouldn't have to muscle through your life. And I I wish that 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 one specific thing, the the concept of joy, I just feel like is really prominent in Mormonism, but uh, religion in general is you're only going to be happy if you're here and you're not going to be happy if you're here. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm going to rephrase it to make sure I'm right. Thank you for having us have a chance to validate how you feel about that concept and bringing it to the attention of the member listeners that might have that black and white tendency to look at you and say, you cannot feel joy when you leave. Yeah, you can leave the church and you can find joy. Like is the and there that you don't think people can see very much. Is that basically yeah? Yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying. The, okay. the and I like the and. I love I really, the and you changed my life with that one. I'm like, I'm internalizing that. <laughs> Good. I'm I love glad. Thanks. I love thanks, the end too. Mackenzie, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. No, I would say thank you for bringing that up. It's not something I had on my list, but you're saying, you know, in my experience in the post-Mormon world, a lot of people feel this way is, and then that's a harmful thing. I really appreciate it when people bring those things up because like, oh, I may not have heard that before. That's one that I'm going to be looking out for now to make sure that I can and that instead of, but that. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I'm going to keep moving on if that's okay yeah, with you. Yeah, let's keep going. So gatekeeping and reverse gatekeeping. These are phrases I got from my very favorite online YouTube therapist, Jonathan Decker. (laughs) So I quote him all (laughs) the time. So gatekeeping is kind of like to be in our club, you got to do these things like a fraternity. So an example would be like, (laughs) yeah, real star Wars fans will read all the star Wars books and novels and pamphlets and see all the movies and know about all the spinoff shows and discuss all the theories and go to all the conferences, etc. And if you don't do all of those things, you're not a real star Wars fan. That's what like gatekeeping is. And so that happens like that black and white thinking kind of thing happens in the church. Like, oh, real members of the church look like this. They read all the standard works and you'll never hear them swear. And like, they don't drink coffee or have tattoos. Real members always wear this kind of clothing or go to this kind of event, you know, stuff like to be in this club, you have to do these things and these things only. Reverse gatekeeping. I think Jonathan Decker made up this term reverse gatekeeping, but it makes sense is like saying, oh, you're hanging out with, with um, those people. So you're not one of us now. So like 
oh, you also like Star Trek? Well, then you're not a real Star Wars fan. Or if like you do, you're hanging out with the other fraternity. You're not a real member of this fraternity. I think the one really easy example of reverse gatekeeping is the movie High School Musical, the first one. You want to go hang out with that girl and be a singer? You're not really one of us. We're the basketball people. And how the, the nerds were like, you want to go be a hip hop dancer? You're not really one of us. We're the intellectuals. Like that movie is all about overcoming reverse gatekeeping, in my opinion. And I'm not going to lie to you. I'm looking up reverse gatekeeping right now because I'm like having a hard time conceptualizing it. Oh, so keep really? going while I okay. look this up. Okay. Well, hopefully it's making sense. So basically it's just saying we're the real Star Wars fans and you like Star Trek. You can't be in our club anymore because... You're trying to branch into this new thing and we've got all that we need right here. It's Star Wars. Does that make sense? Like they're getting mad at you for trying to explore something else. That's reverse gatekeeping. And you may not find it if you look it up because I'm pretty sure Jonathan Decker made it up, but he talks about it in the cinema therapy video where he talks about the Pixar movie, Luca. So if you look up Luca cinema therapy, that's where you can learn all about my understanding of the term reverse gatekeeping. I have to do that later. It's really good stuff. I love cinema therapy. So basically, if we're going to apply reverse gatekeeping to the church, it's like, if you do anything differently from how I would do it in the church, you're not a really good member of the church. And it's weird because we all have our different little nuances. Like you said earlier, I've never seen two members of the same church believe the exact same thing or behave the exact same way. It's funny what we choose to do, what we choose not to do. And it's all really personal. Like I don't swear, but I do watch R-rated movies. And it's just like, if you're reverse gatekeeping, you're saying, well, if you watch R-rated movies or if you shop on Sunday, you're not actually a good member of my church or right, etc. Like even like if you go and sit at a synagogue a Jewish synagogue and you enjoy it and you get something out of it. You're not a really good member of the church. Uh, that's my least favorite Synagogues one because I love interfaith stuff and I love attending other faiths experiences and learning from them and reading from their different holy books and getting all sorts of truths out of it. But like the reverse gatekeeping would be like, no, because everything you need black and white, it's all here. So if you're looking out there, you're not really a good member of being here. You following it's almost, me? Yeah, it's still so similar to gatekeeping with just like a little bit of a spin on it. Yeah, it's very similar. But it's really just saying when you try and do something else, you're not part of our club. And the gatekeeping is saying to be a part of our club, you must do all of this. So they really okay. do go yeah. hand in hand. Yeah, it's okay. like kicking people out as opposed to keeping people out. Yeah, and it's totally rooted in this fear of being abandoned. Corbin Blue, I don't remember his character, like the high school musical character that Corbin Blue plays. Chad. Thank you. Chad, he's being this major reverse gatekeeper on his friend. Like, I don't want Troy to go be involved in these other things because maybe he's not going to want to be with me as much anymore. Maybe he's not going to want to be my friend or play basketball with me. And so I think the real underlying problem there is this fear of abandonment or loneliness or insecurity so he's trying to hold him back from growing and there's nothing wrong with growing so 
try not to be a reverse gatekeeper. Don't be like Chad. The end. Don't be like Chad. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Essentially, your friend wants to go and have an experience that's different. Different doesn't mean wrong. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, unless it's, I want to go cross these train tracks in the middle of the night when the train is there. I mean, obviously, you got to use your judgment of what is safe. But essentially, if somebody is like, I want to try something new that is not going to kill me or kill somebody else, then that's just going to lead to an experience. And they're going to learn from that experience and grow from that experience. And it doesn't reflect badly on you if they're having a new experience. So my tips are to look at the nuanced truths and remember the power of and. More often than not, we will find truth with and. In my personal beliefs, words like always and never are less likely to have truths contained in them. Look for the truths in the power of and. Um, Yeah. Pay attention to the thoughts that you have with words like never and always. You know, one thing we didn't really talk about here, but we talked a lot about in the bonus rant is black and white thinking isn't always wrong. I just want people to be aware of when they're having it and how it affects their bridge building. And I don't want to tell people like, you better not have a strong moral conviction one way or another about a certain truth. Like, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is (laughs) not at all. It's great to believe stuff and stand up for what you think, but I'm talking about bridge building. I'm talking about your relationships with other people and recognizing opportunities not to cause defensiveness and not to hold back on being vulnerable. I think it's all about just finding balance. Again, I had that overcorrection of, I can't say that I trust my own wisdom. I have to say I trust God's wisdom. So try to avoid overcorrection. That's like totally card flipping dichotomous thinking. Try and fan out your cards. Ask yourself, how is black and white thinking serving me? Is it hurting me? How is it serving my bridge building here? How is it hurting my bridge building? I think that's pretty much And I think when you get to that point of how you know, how is this affecting my, my bridge building? Dive a little deeper and say, okay, where can I find the understanding? Where can I find my truth in their truth? Yeah, because the yin and yang. Odds are, yes, exactly. I, I think I mentioned this in the bonus ramp, but um, there's a yoga guru who said that we're all talking about the same God, just in a different way. If you believe in God or the universe or whatever. Or the energy, we're all talking as you about, said. Yeah. yeah, whatever name you give it we're all talking about the same thing and often that comes into our lives as well if you want to get into politics for the most part people are good people amen they want to do good things for other people sometimes that can be polarizing what is the most important good thing to do and so i guess what i'm saying is when you think to yourself all right i I'm trying to be open. I'm trying not to have this dichotomous thinking when it comes to understanding other people. I am now going to try to find my truth in their truth and their truth in my truth because I want to understand them better. That is like, going to be great. I don't, so I don't awesome. black and white think, but now I'm trying to actively work against that. Recognizing it is one thing, but undoing that pattern is another thing 
Yeah. I was saying like vulnerability is one of the best tools for bridge building. Like if vulnerability was the wood, I would say putting that yin and yang into other people is like the hammer and the nails, an essential tool for bridge building. How can I find my truth in your truth? Where can I find your truth in my truth? Oh my gosh. That's blowing my mind when I think about how liberals and conservatives look at each other. They don't even try to do that. And it exists. They don't even try. It's there. I would love to invite the whole world to try this little experiment and talk to somebody that you disagree with politically or religiously or whatever, only to find your truth in what they say and then try and find some of their truth in what you say. I think that would be the coolest experiment. And you would just be like, learning how to build a bridge. It would be so cool. And it doesn't have to be overwhelming. It can be exciting. I think going into it saying, okay, this is, I'm going to learn something. This is going to be exciting. It doesn't, it's so easy to be like, this is scary. They're going to get mad at me. I'm going to get mad. Just go in being like, Hey, we're going to, this is cool. This is exciting. I want to learn about you. And I want you to learn about me. I love your enthusiasm for that. Yes. (laughs) Way to be. Okay. Well, honestly, that wraps up for me. So thanks for hanging in there, guys. I really hope you do go listen to the bonus rant. I think that they complete one another. Please go listen (laughs) to them both. Hey guys, time for tidbits and takeaways with Taylor. Seeing people as the opposite of who they used to be and translating that across multiple factors is probably the biggest danger we get into with black and white thinking. For example, I see that so-and-so is transgender on Facebook and that kind of makes me uncomfortable. I don't know about that. So then therefore everything that they post, I don't know what it is. I could automatically assume it's something that I wouldn't like and I'm uncomfortable with because we have this one thing not in common. Translating multiple opposites across all sorts of factors is dangerous because you don't really know what those other things are. You're just assuming. You know what they say about assuming. Hey, uh, my husband Jeff was not accurately represented in his podcast episode. That was definitely a moment that he's not super proud of today and it doesn't reflect on how he is as a bridge builder today he's very good at being open-minded and definitely my biggest support in making this podcast so don't go hating on who somebody used to be especially not my boy i did think when amberly was talking about yin and yang i thought about the scripture in second nephi about there being opposition in all things What pairings might you have about people across your bridge? And can you debunk any of those pairings? We talked a lot about false pairings, but I'm not going to tell you that your pairings are false. I'm just going to ask you, what are your pairings? Are they false? Can you debunk them? Other examples of reverse gatekeeping, if you're interested in looking into that, the friend in Luca, Luca's friend is like, you can't go hang out with that girl. It means you don't want to hang out with me. We see examples of reverse gatekeeping all the time on social media, like, if you don't love Harry Potter, just unfriend me now, etc. So, have you ever made stances like this that could prevent friendships? And why are you letting that happen? Don't let that sort of a silly thing get in the way. Hopefully it's all just in gist, but still. There could be weight to that. So, consider that someone's taking what you're saying seriously.
Guys, if Troy, if your Troy wants to hang out with some Gabriella, please don't take it personally. And please don't reverse gatekeep your Troy. And just love your Troy. And you'll probably find out that you love the Gabriella too. Because we're all in this together. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Building Bridges is brought to you by me, Taylor Niebergall, and the hardworking volunteers who co-host with me. The music was written and recorded by Bethany Sorensen. If you like what you've heard, consider submitting a review or sharing it with others. To submit ideas, contact me at buildingbridges.taylor at gmail.com or check out our Facebook page, Building Bridges Podcast. When you all start crashing down And your feet don't touch the ground And you